scriptural account from Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with them to a garden called Gethsemane and told his disciples, stay here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Then he said, this sorrow is crushing the life out of me. Going a little ahead, he fell on his face, praying, my father, if there is any way, get me out of this. But please, not my will, but yours be done. When Jesus came back, he said to the disciples, my time is up. The son of man is about to be handed over to the hands of sinners. Get up, let's get going. My betrayer is here. never believe what I just saw. Let me formally introduce myself. I'm Peter, for those of you who don't know, and I'm a disciple of Jesus, as in the Messiah Jesus, the Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, creator of the universe, beginning and end, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, yeah, that Jesus. And they just arrested him. Can you believe that? Jesus, my Jesus. Some chief officials and Roman soldiers came with this rowdy crowd and tried to take him. What did Jesus ever do? He was sinless. I watched him raise people from the dead. I saw him heal people. I saw him make people see again. He was innocent. But yet here they are accusing him of stirring up trouble and rebellion. So they arrested him and took him away. Darkness struck. They marched Jesus off to the house of Pilate and I followed. But at a safe distance, of course. I wasn't trying to get arrested, too. I sat with some people outside around a fire and watched what was happening. I didn't know what was going on, so I just kind of listened and waited. Then I saw Pilate take Jesus and sentence him to a public whipping. And the soldiers that took him twisted together this crown of thorns and forced it on his head, making blood drip down his face. Like, it wasn't just they took a thorn and, like, got another branch and put it together and put it on his head. They shoved it down on his head, and there was blood pouring down his face. Then they put a purple robe on his back, and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they slapped him in the face. Like it wasn't enough that they just took a crown of thorns and shoved it down on his head. And now their hands are bloody. But I guess they don't care about that. After that, they flogged him. They took these long whips with metal pieces on the end, and they whipped Jesus over and over and over again. 39 times. I don't know how he survived that. Until he was bloodied and he, he was torn wide open. I could see his kidneys through his back. That's not something I want to relive again. And I don't know how he made it. But why were they doing this to him? Jesus said himself that if he called for legions of angels to come down from heaven, they would. With one word from his mouth, a legion of angels would come down from heaven to rescue him. Do you know how many a legion is? 10,000. One word from Jesus would have brought 10,000 angels to come and rescue him. Why was he just taking this? Why didn't he do anything? Darkness struck. I kept telling the people that I couldn't find anything wrong with this man named Jesus. So I brought him out and he was wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. 
and I told the crowd, he seems innocent. He has done nothing wrong. But the crowd was in uproar. They weren't backing down. They accused Jesus of stirring up trouble with his teachings and his miracles. His miracles? They said he was dangerous. And when they saw him, everyone cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. And I asked, what for? He isn't guilty. And they said, because we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he has made himself out to be the son of God. The son of God. Now I was even more afraid. Was I, Pilate, the governor of Judea, sending the son of God to his execution? For what? Disturbing the peace? No. I wasn't about to have his, bloods on, his blood on my hands. After all, what if he was the son of God? So I told the crowd, listen, you brought this man to me as a disturber of the peace, and I have examined him in front of all of you and found there is nothing, absolutely nothing to your charge. And neither did Herod, for he has sent him back here with a clean bill of health. It's clear that he's done nothing wrong, let alone anything deserving of death. I'm going to warn him to watch his back and let him go. But when I said that, the crowd went wild. I thought I was going to have a riot on my hands. They started shouting, kill him, give us Barabbas. Barabbas? D did they realize who they were asking for, Barabbas? I threw Barabbas in prison for starting a riot in the city and for murder. I still wanted to let Jesus go, so I spoke out again. But they wouldn't back down. A shouting mob demanding that he be crucified. So I caved and I gave them what they wanted. I released the man thrown in prison for rioting and murder and handed Jesus over to them to do whatever they wanted with. Darkness struck. I was just on my way out of the country, Simon of Cyrene, a nobody, an outsider. I was passing through and these Roman soldiers, they pulled me out of the crowd and they, and they forced me to carry this man's cross. It felt like I was carrying cement on my shoulders. I could only go f maybe five yards with this cross, but they wanted me to go all the way up the hill. He was marching to his death, beaten and bloodied, so weak, he ended up not even being able to carry the cross. So the full weight of it fell on my shoulders, it was rough. What had this man done to, to, to deserve something as severe as this? Finally, we came to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Two other criminals were taken with him to be crucified. They put him on the cross and they, and they drove large stakes through both of his wrists and, and one into his feet. I cringed as I heard the screaming and shrieking and the pounding of metal being drove through his flesh, clinging his bones to the wood. So you see, Jesus, he, just, he seemed so innocent. And so to see these drunk men torturing him in laughter and, laughter and mockery, it, it was gut-wrenching. He was crying out in agony and he was saying, do these people even know what they're doing? They were killing the very man that came to save them. The other criminals were hung beside him. The people stood there staring at Jesus and the ringleaders came and they made faces taunting Jesus saying, he saved others, well let's see him save himself. The Messiah of God, huh. the chosen one, yeah, right. Then the soldiers came up and they, and they mocked him as he was hanging there, as if killing this man was some sort of game. They toasted him with sour wine and said, so you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
One of the criminals hanging alongside cursed him, saying, Some Messiah you are. Save yourself, and why don't you save us while you're at it? But the other one shut him up, saying, Have you no fear of God? You're getting the same punishment as him. We deserve this, but not him. He did nothing to deserve this. Then before I knew what was happening, the whole earth became dark. It was a total blackout. It lasted three hours, but it felt like an eternity. Then I heard Jesus calling loudly, saying, It is finished. And as he breathed his last breath, the Son of God was dead. Darkness struck. Darkness struck. As Simon just described to us, as Jesus was living his final moments, nailed to a cross, tired, worn, weak, broken, bruised, bloodied, an extreme darkness came over the whole land lasting three hours. Total, utter darkness. A kind of darkness that the people of that time never experienced before. A kind of darkness that you can't wrap your mind around. A kind of darkness that your eyes cannot readjust to. A kind of darkness that leaves you frozen in time. And a kind of darkness so thick that nothing can seem to penetrate it. Because the daylight suddenly was engulfed by night. was suddenly engulfed in complete darkness. A darkness that stopped the world, that stopped people right in their tracks. Because it was right in the middle of what was usually the brightest part of the day. Have you ever been in darkness? Maybe you've been somewhere and the electricity went out. Or maybe you've taken a walk late at night, or maybe you've taken a drive far out to a field to look at the stars darkness. But the darkness that we can stand to experience was nothing compared to the darkness experienced on this day. And people began to wonder, what did this darkness mean? I just picture like the farmer, the plow stopped mid-plow and the axe stopped mid-swing. Businesses stood still. It was in the middle of the day. When men were the busiest, everything was paused. Everything was paused, not only on Calvary, where Jesus was crucified, but on every hill, on every valley, darkness began to settle down. Darkness began to settle in. Life was put on hold, and no one could move unless they fought their way like the blind. Humanity was startled. Humanity was taken back. Humanity stood in a shuddering awe. And I started to think, what possibly could people like Peter and Pontius Pilate and even Simon, what could they be thinking in this moment? Peter and his disciples, they were experiencing deep pain, hurt, and confusion. The people who Jesus spent most of his time with, the people who he invested his whole life in, just lost their best friend, their master, their Lord. Thinking, how did this happen? How could this be a part of the plan? How is this God's plan A for redeeming humanity, saving humanity from their sin, 
from their brokenness, from their darkness. And how could a man who had the power of God inside of him, who literally could have called 10,000 angels down to save him with one shake of his finger, how could he let this happen? The Son of God was taken from them. They lost their hope. They lost the one secure thing that they found. Wondering, how can he save us now that he's gone? Pontius Pilate, the governor, the governor who wanted to set Jesus free, who wanted to send the man Barabbas, the actual criminal, to death on a cross. And in this moment where the world was living in total darkness, in the middle of the afternoon, that could only be explained by a divine, supernatural power, I have no doubt that Pilate finally realized that he did send the Son of God to die. The Savior, the Messiah, the one that was prophesied about thousands of years before, the one who was to come to finally save humanity from their sin so we could finally live forever with God. And that person was right in front of him, and he didn't even recognize it. Pilate missed it. Pilate, he missed the boat. And, and Pilate represented a whole slew of people who were so caught up in themselves that they missed what they were looking for, even though it was right in front of them. And Simon, he was just a regular guy who literally carried Jesus' cross for him because Jesus was so weak from being whipped and beaten and tortured. He witnessed all the people and soldiers mocking Jesus, even up to his last final moments on earth. He witnessed them saying, if you're really king of the Jews, savior of the world like you say you are, get down off that cross and save yourself. And it was almost like, how dare they mock the one true God. But as Simon witnessed that, he also witnessed when these people realized what crime they just committed. Those who stood around that cross, those who had dared to insult the majesty of Jesus, soon became paralyzed in fear. They stopped their insults, their mocking, their cruelty. Many returned back to where they came from to hide themselves for fear of the awful judgment that would be placed upon them. This complete darkness, the darkness that they were trying to avoid, was actually ushered in because of them. And some realized what they had done, and it was too late for them to do anything about it. And all this happened on what we call Good Friday, which we celebrate tomorrow. But in this moment, what, what was good about this? What could possibly be good about sending the Son of God to die a lonely death on the cross? What could be good about getting rid of the one and only hope for the world in what seemed to be such an unrighteous way? What could be good about God's one and only Son who was sent to earth to save the world from darkness, to bring life to dead places, to bring peace and love and joy? What could be good now that he was gone? And here, darkness looked like it had won. Darkness in this moment looked like it had the victory. Darkness looked more powerful. Darkness looked overwhelming. In God's plan to save us through his son, Jesus Christ, it looked so hopeless in the moment. The outcome looked so bleak. It looked like the biggest setback in the history of the world. But what looked like the ultimate setback was actually a set up for God's ultimate comeback. What looked like the ultimate setback was actually a set up for God's ultimate comeback. Darkness struck, but it didn't stay. Darkness struck, 
but light struck back. At the same exact moment that the darkness struck, light was already beginning to break through. And even though with people's natural eyes, they couldn't see it. And in that moment of extreme darkness, they couldn't see what God was doing and what he was going to do. And here God was going to show the world that he doesn't abandon us in the darkness. God was going to show the world that he doesn't abandon us in the darkness. Even when we can't see what God is doing, he is still at work. Darkness struck, but the light struck back. And this little literal darkness was not the only darkness that the world was experiencing. And this was a type of darkness that was here way ahead of this particular moment in history. It was here since the beginning of time. It was here as soon as Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, ate of the apple, let sin enter the world, and a separation was created between God and us. And from that point on, the world was living in spiritual darkness. They were living in spiritual depression. And something that God never wanted for any of us, he did not want this for his creation, it broke his heart. And from that moment on, God was going to do whatever it took to save his creation, to bring, that, him, bring us back home to himself forever, so there would be no more separation. And at the end of Matthew chapter 7, verses 51 through 54, Jesus took his last breath. And here it says, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Talk about some crazy stuff happening. Um, and at the moment, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And maybe you've heard of this image before of a veil being torn in two. Maybe you've only heard of it on Easter, or maybe you've never heard about this before. But this is something that I feel like God just doesn't want us to glance over. And so this veil that was in the temple represents how the world was living in spiritual darkness. The veil was a long woven curtain, and I'm a detail-oriented person, so I was took some time and I did some research about this veil in the temple. And I come to find out this was not just some small, thin curtain. This is not like something you would hang on a window in a house. Um, this veil was 60 feet long, it was 30 feet wide, and it was four inches thick. The veil was so massive, it was so heavy, that it took 300 priests to move it. And if the veil was ever actually going to be torn in two, it was going to take more than human strength to tear it. And this curtain was used in the temple for the purpose of separating the most holy place in the temple, which they call the Holy of Holies. It was used for the purpose of separating God from mankind. And only the high priest could enter this most holy place, and the rest of humanity could only enter one day a year. So if anyone simply walked behind the veil and they were not the high priest or they did not enter on this one day a year, that person would immediately die. The veil that was there to protect humans from instant death. And it was a protection for the most holy place, for the holy of holies, because in that, in that spot it represented the very real, tangible presence of God. 
Because he is so holy, he is so sovereign, he is so mighty, full of majesty. God was behind the veil. So, so why do you use a curtain? It, it blocks the light. It keeps separation between you and the sun, S-U-N. But this veil in the temple kept humans away from the sun, S-O-N, the son of God. And it was a symbol of the separation of mankind and God, and it marked a boundary between God's pure holiness and our wickedness. And it was not possible to go beyond the veil because our sins have separated us from a holy God. Because wickedness and righteousness cannot be joined together. And we were held at a distance. We were not given full access to God. We were too sinful, too unrighteous, too unholy to be even considered to be close to God's presence. God's presence was only something for the priest, not for the rest of us. But God never wanted it that way. He never wanted us to be separated, his creation that he loved so dearly. And it was going to take more than a man-made hope, and it was going to take more than a man-made love. It was going to take more than a man-made strength to have the light begin to break through. Darkness struck, but light struck back. But as soon as Jesus took his final breath, as soon as he cried out in agony, it is finished, Jesus knew that his one reason, that he left his heavenly throne, that he came to earth as a man, he knew his one mission to die for you, to die for me, was finally accomplished. So the veil could be torn. And when he died, it was torn from top to bottom. His death tore the veil. His death forever removed the separation between God and man. Something that could not be done by us humans. Something that could not be done no matter how good we try to act. Something that could not be done on our own power and our own strength. It had to be done by God and God alone. It says in 1 John 2, 2, he himself is the sacrifice that cleanses our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. His death made a way, and the separation between God and man was able to be removed. And the fact that the veil was torn from the top to the bottom, and remember, I told you how large this veil was. It was torn from the top to the bottom, and it was some 60 feet from the floor where humans could not reach it. So that shows that God was the only one that could cause this veil to be torn. God was the only one who could allow us to come back to him, to come back home. And in an instant, what looked like a moment of weakness, what looked like defeat and guilt and shame and darkness, God was up to something. God was not abandoning us in the darkness. He was actually finalizing his plans to get us out. In the midst of darkness, little did they know what was to come was going to be much better than anything they've ever seen before. Darkness struck, but light struck back. That, caught, that light behind the curtain that we, that we couldn't have, that we couldn't get to, that we didn't have access to, no matter how hard we try, it was finally available to all. It was finally available to all of us. And, and the light came pouring out when the veil was torn. And I almost picture it like a dam breaking, like literally flooding the earth. And humanity had complete access to God. A real, right, and true relationship with God the Father could finally be here. But the thing is, we have to choose it. Only if we accept Jesus and what he did for us, and only if we accept him into our hearts and into our lives. Because if not, we are still living in separation. 
We're still living in darkness. We're still living far from God. And we serve a God that wants to be near to us, that wants to have a relationship with us. And maybe you've already made this decision to accept Jesus into your life so you no longer have to live far from him. You no longer have to live in darkness. But maybe you haven't made that decision, and you want to, and you don't know how. But Jesus made it really simple for us. The scripture says to believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. In order to confess that Jesus is Lord, you have to admit that you missed the mark, you sinned, and you've offended God, and you've fallen short. And all we have to do is tell God that we are sorry for being far from him and ask him to come enter our hearts and our lives. When we do this, our sins are forgiven, and everything in our lives won't be instantly perfect, but God receives us just as we are right now. This is why we have Easter. This is why Easter changes everything. This is why Jesus changes everything. Darkness struck, but the light struck back. And that's the good part of Good Friday. Our, restore, our relationship with the Father is restored. I'm going to call the worship team up. And we don't just get to be in relationship with God because Jesus died, but we get to be in relationship with God because he rose again. We know how the story ends. And we see in Matthew 28, we see Jesus rise again, and not just his spirit. We have to remember that. His spirit just didn't rise again, but his physical body resurrected again. In verse 1, it reads, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is amazing. When everything looked dark, when everything looked hopeless, God never left us. It was his plan to give us victory in our lives through the resurrection of his son, Jesus. Because Jesus rose again. Darkness could no longer create separation between us and God. And I want us to leave here knowing that because of Jesus, that because of Easter, there is no place too dark in your life that God cannot break through. That the light cannot shine through. And on Good Friday, the situation of the world, it looked dark and hopeless. Nothing looked good about it, but we know how the story ends. That Jesus defeated Satan, that the victory is ours forever, no matter what our eyes may see. The Son of God, he took back he struck back, 
he overwhelmed eternal darkness. Satan thought he had won the war for our souls. He thought he had this thing in the bag. He thought surely this setback was for his purposes, but we know the end of the story. What looked like the ultimate setback was actually a set up for God's ultimate comeback. So where do you need to come back in your life? What in your life seems too dark, too hard, or too dirty for God's light and love to break through? Where in your life are you living in darkness? What areas are keeping you separated from God's unconditional love? Is it relationship issues? Is it an addiction, alcohol, pornography? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it self-harm? Is it brokenness in your family, a divorce, lies, cheating, financial problems? Is any of that too dark for him? Is it uncertainty about your future? Is it the baggage that comes with the dark past? Is it feelings of loneliness or insecurity? Is it anger, is it bitterness or jealousy that you can't seem to untangle from your life? Is any of that too dark for him? No. And maybe you're in the midst of a dark situation right now in your life and you're looking around thinking, God, where where are you? It looks like there is no way out of this. It looks like a setback. But because we know that God can take a setback in our lives and use it as a setup for his glory and his power to be on display. And he did that with Jesus. So what in your life seems so dark, so heavy, that you don't think his light can break through? Even though darkness struck, maybe darkness has struck in your life, but just wait. Just wait because the light will strike back. Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered hell. Jesus conquered the grave. And because of that, he lives inside of us. His power that raised Jesus from the dead, we have access to as a believer in him. And we can now work that in our lives. It can work in our brokenness. It can work in our darkness. And he made a way out for us from that sin and darkness. And he's going to make a way out of whatever situation you may find yourself in. Because he lives, because he is victorious, because the light struck back. You're not in too dark of a place that Jesus can't find you. God does not abandon you in the darkness. I want to encourage you guys that God does not abandon us in the darkness. He's given us the way out. He's given us himself. He's with us forever now because the Bible said God never leaves us. He never leaves us no matter what situations look like in our lives. And the thing is, we go off of our natural, what we can see with our natural eyes. But God wants us to look at situations with his eyes, with, with spiritual eyes. So no matter how bleak things may look, how overwhelming they feel, the hopelessness that you feel of a certain situation, God does not abandon you. He did not abandon Jesus. Jesus does not leave us, and we can have a hope and claim victory because Jesus is alive again. Remember, there's no place too dark in your life that God can't break through, that the light cannot shine through. So I'm going to have you guys 